Welcome, everybody, to uh, another edition of the Love is Never Wasted podcast. We're uh, really excited for our guest today. Unfortunately, um, Kara's not with us, my beautiful co-host and wife, um, but we're excited about our guest today. We have a judge in the family courts. His name is Michael Levitt, and we're really excited to have him on the, on the podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I I am a juvenile court judge and have been for uh, six and a half years. Well, I grew up in Salt Lake City, came down to St. George, went to school, met my wife. We left to do more schooling, went to law school up in Idaho, University of Idaho. Came back to St. George in 2002 and I started a, well, I joined a, a law practice that I, I was a civil litigator for about 12 years. And then in 2014, got nominated to be juvenile court judge and joined the juvenile court, and I've been there since. Uh, I've got five kids, four boys and a girl. I guess we're just living the dream. And lots of pets. My wife is a big foster kit. She fosters kittens. Oh, really? Bottle feeds baby kittens when their mother cat is missing or dead or something. And so, yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time doing that, too. So were you drawn to the juvenile courts, the family courts? Um. Well, yeah. I, it's funny. I had very little experience as, a, as an attorney. I'd been in juvenile court twice. And I had been a, a finalist for district court positions twice before. And it was like the day that the application was due. I was, In fact, I can remember specifically I was ironing my shirt. And I thought, you know, I got all this stuff together. And I think I have a unique perspective, so I'm just going to do it. And it was honestly more to keep my my name in the rotation for a district court judge position. It's the same nominating commission, same process. Uh, so I, I just thought it would be good, and um, I was a little surprised, frankly, to get be a finalist and then to get nominated by the governor. Um, but it's been awesome. I just love it so much, and I'm so glad I did it. What What... What do you love the most about the the family courts specifically, or yeah. the juvenile courts? Well, juvenile court, we, we deal with specifically, we're a court of what's called limited jurisdiction. So we deal with uh, primarily juvenile delinquency and welfare cases. And so you get to deal with families, you get to work with families, you get to uh, try to get the best result for for a kid, either in a delinquency case or a welfare case. And welfare, to be clear, is if parents are accused of abuse, neglect, or dependency, they come to our court. So when a child is placed, for example, in foster care, they might, DCFS might do so on an emergency basis, but we have a shelter hearing within 72 hours. And so we make the decision whether they stay in foster care or go back to their parents. And then there's a whole process uh, that the parents are involved in the courts oversee it and make legal rulings um, throughout the process, and so that's essentially what we do. And it, it's just a you know other than you know other areas of the law when you're dealing with a contract dispute or yeah. adults you know committing crimes, you get to really deal with people and hopefully make their lives a little bit better. And so it's it's very rewarding. It's more challenging than I thought it would be. Um, but, you know, originally when I went to college, I wanted to be a teacher. And so 
I loved, actually, when I went to law school, I ended up loving law school and was glad to be a lawyer. I loved that. But it, it actually is mixing those two worlds a little bit, um, which is really fun for me. So what is the hardest part? We There's a couple things. Number one, obviously, we have a, a lot of times we are left with a whole array of bad options. And we're trying to pick the least bad option for a kid. That's always a challenge, and that's always one you, you have to second-guess on because you're trying to protect that kid. The other part of it is, is just the timing. We have, you know, we if kids are removed from their home we don't, and they're going back home, we want them home soon. You know, two months in a kid's life is a lifetime. So the timing is difficult because you, you don't want to delay things, and so you've got to make decisions quickly. If there are legal issues, you've got to get to the heart of it quickly. And you have to get it right because if it gets appealed, that's a big, long process. And kids end up, you know, having, you know, years sometimes in an appellate system that, um, you know, if you didn't get it right, it could reverse everything you did. Right. So it can be there can be some pressure there with that. My wife said during during our process, you were our judge with one of our with one of our placements. And my wife mentioned during the process that um she couldn't imagine being the one making the decision at any stage, you know, the one tasked with making the decision. Tell our listeners what it's like being the person that makes those decisions. And you mentioned you had to make it, you have to make a decision right when they come into care. What are the, some of the other decisions you have to make along the way, maybe all the way to termination of, of parental rights? What, what does each one of those stages look like and what does it feel like having to be, fill those shoes? Yeah, so uh, if, a, if a child's removed, they can be removed either by warrant, where we get a, an affidavit that lays out some facts and we issue a warrant, or other extenuating circumstances law enforcement can, can remove, um, and there's some statutory ways they do that. We have a hearing within 72 hours. It's a full evidentiary hearing, a trial essentially, that you have to have immediately. And then you make findings based on a preponderance of the evidence, whether that child should be uh, placed in the temporary custody of DCFS. So that immediate, let's try to stop the bleeding and put this kid in the safest place possible. If they are removed and remain away from their parents, then DCFS will file a petition. And within 60 days, we need to adjudicate that petition, meaning have a trial make findings by a heightened standard of called clear and convincing evidence. And if we find that the state has proven that parent or that child has been abused or neglected and that returning that child home is unsafe, we continue to keep them out. And then we make a then we set what are called primary permanency goals. And that goal can be and, and often is reunification with a parent. It could be guardianship with a relative or a non-relative that we find is appropriate. Or it could be adoption, which would require termination of parental rights. If we order reunification, federal law requires that that be accomplished in 12 months with a couple of options for 90-day extensions. So no more than 180, day, or 180 days beyond the 12 months or, or 18 months. And that seems like a long time, but when you've got somebody who's you know has a substance abuse problem, 12 months is not a long time to get sober, get the training needed for sobriety, and remain sober. And so at the end of the 12 months, if we find that it's not safe to return that child, then we terminate reunification services. We set a new permanency goal. If they're 
young children, it's generally adoption, which means the state would issue a termination of parental rights petition and we have a trial on whether we should terminate parental rights. Each of those stages, you almost, well, really, you are predicting the future the best that you can. Yeah. And you're trying to look in the, in the future and say, hey, you know, um, this parent's going to do okay or not. And even when reunite, sometimes you're, you're worried that you're making the right decision. So each time it's, um, it can be pretty painstaking to, to make those decisions. And the, and the biggest reason is we understand the psychological effect that attachment and terminating the attachment has on kids. And so I'm always mindful of that because of that. That must be, that must be difficult. That would be, for me, the most difficult part. Well, it is. And, and my, my experience, as we mentioned before we started recording, I have two adopted children, mm-hmm. and they're both internationally adopted. And we learned the hard way about what disrupting attachment does to a kid, right. particularly our youngest daughter. She was only a year old when we adopted her, but we experienced a whole lot of behavioral problems. So when we adopted our son, who was six, he had some past trauma, and so we actually got a therapist involved. And we realized our daughter, her attachment issues were far more severe than we had any understanding of. And it took a lot of work for my wife and I to get trained on how to deal with that. What I realized is, from that child's perspective, they don't always know they're being abused or neglected. Right. All they know is they have a parent, and then suddenly one day a stranger came and took them from that parent. and in my concern is, are we causing more damage by that removal than we are in trying to keep that child at home and work with that parent? So even that initial shelter hearing, that's the tension that I'm dealing with. And in a lot of cases, one might look at it from the outside and say, you're going to keep that kid with that parent? But when you look at the attachment-related issues and what our alternatives are, yeah, we're going to keep that kid with that parent because psychologically that's the best thing for that child. And we can manage the parent by not removing. Um, and when I first took the bench, I got a lot of pushback on, on my insistence that we do that, do that analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it serves kids well to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. It's hard to know that you're making the right decision. So I think you just explained it, but... Maybe that's something that you wish people understood better, and, and I think that was a, a pretty good explanation. But if there is something that you wish that you know the public or people who pushed back, you mentioned, or who you know, maybe you have a, a certain judges get reputations for being a certain way. What what is something that that you could tell our listeners that you wish people would better understand and and could um, see from your vantage point? I think that's it. I think understanding that we are dealing with folks in terms of parent birth parents who have long histories all sorts of things that probably aren't even their fault that are the, the way they are in their lives yeah. and that child identifies them as the parent mm-hmm. and when we again that initial disruption we better be sure that it's necessary for that child's safety because we are buying ourselves a whole lot of problems for that child and so when when parents and and sometimes foster parents who are on their end getting attached to this child loving this child 
providing an incredible life for this child, when they see that we continue to give these parents wow. second chances, I would hope they understand that that's why um, a lot of kids, they transition to a new home and they do okay. Yeah. A lot of them don't, particularly older kids. And um, so I would just hope they would understand that we don't take those concerns lightly either, but there's a reason why we're trying to work with this parent and trying to give them even the full 12 months when they haven't always done what they're supposed to do. Thank you for explaining that. So here with our foundation, Love is Never Wasted, our goal is to inspire people to run towards foster care. Um, inspire anyone and everyone who has a home and has a heart and has a you know a little bit of time to, to look into being foster parents. Um, which I, I got to tell you, I love I love that. Um, Thank you. It is. I, yeah, I'm I'm just glad you're there because it's it's a, it is an important thing and and I love the fact that you've got uh, that you're that you're cheering that on. Well, we appreciate having your perspective on and maybe what is what is your perspective on that? Maybe what how big is the need? Um, even in you know a nice community in in Washington County, Utah. But throughout the throughout the country, you know, we we have listeners throughout. Um, is there a need? The need is huge, and the the reason is, um, uh, we we generally can find placements. Well, we I don't make them. DCFS right. makes the placement. Sometimes I make direct placements um, if DCFS can't do it. But the need is because we need to find the right fit. And so if we have a lot of parents that are available, I don't have to scramble. You can be picky. We can be a little bit picky. Yeah. And we can say, look, th- you know, this family has no children in the home. Mm-hmm. And that's an important for this child mm-hmm. who has severe attachment issues to not compete with other siblings. Or this is an older child. They need somebody who can manage an older child's uh, you know, behavior, love them. Uh, put up with annoying, you know, young teen stuff. And if I've got three or four families to choose from, that even they know each other and say, hey, look, you guys are better equipped than we are. Let's, as a team, let's do this. That's part of it. Number two is um, helping the foster families understand the reunification process to be a partner in that process. Mm -hmm. In fact, I had a I, I had a conversation with the state head of DCFS, Diane Moore, just last week about some initiatives we're looking at. Um, one of them I'm really excited about. But uh, we talked about this concept of training our foster parents to, be, to understand the need to be partners with a birth parent. We're asking our foster families to do a lot. And... I get emotional. I'm going to get emotional now talking about them because we ask them to take this kid into their home and love them. And it used to be they would tell them, don't attach to them. Don't be show too much right. affection. Now we don't do that. Right. They need that constant affection to provide a better life for that child. And it will almost always be better than what we're returning them to. Right. And then give them up when, they're, when it's time. Yeah. And, or be willing to adopt them when it's not. Um, it's asking a lot. And the reality is there's one more component to that, that that I think we need to ask of our foster families. And that is, 
are you willing to partner with that birth parent a little bit and let them know, facilitate parent time, uh, facilitate things with that parent to help them get that reunification. That's asking a lot of our foster parents. But if we have a larger option, a number of, of families, that gets a little easier. Yeah. One of the things that I'm working on, that we're, we're working on perhaps piloting in Washington County is a child welfare mentoring program where we have either folks who've been through the reunification process or other adults who can mentor these parents to help them guide them through this DCFS process. That might, that might actually keep us from having the foster families have to do that because there are complications with that. But um, th- going back to your question, the more folks we have willing to do it, the more we have, uh, the more we can rely on the right fit. The right fit. Whether it be giving you more confidence to terminate and place yeah. or, you know, asking them to be, like you said, an advocate for the, for the birth parent and to work with the birth parent and to... It's like we we talked off air, you know, uh, about uh, the name of our foundation, Love Is Never Wasted, and our film, if you watch it on our website, that time that they do spend in the home with the foster parent is never wasted. And it is very important that you love and attach, even if even if the time comes where they reunify with the with the birth parent, because that's something that child will take with them and use for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. It's, it can be a really wonderful, rewarding experience for that child, even if they get returned. Um, we have great situations where uh, our foster families have been advocates for both reunification with a willingness to take that child if they need to. They've created a bond with that family. That child uh recognizes those foster parents as parental figures in their life um and it, at times it really works well and so yeah absolutely um I, I just couldn't agree more and the 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 value of it even to the family the foster family it may not be obvious at the beginning it may be years down the road they realize that what they did was impactful um and so, yeah, that's I that I couldn't agree more with that. So, in closing, we'll let you go here. But um, what you, you have an audience here of of uh, prospective foster parents or, or 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 people who care about youth in their areas and and young hurting children. What what would your advice be? What would your or call to action, or what, from your vantage point, how can regular people who are listening make a difference in the life of hurting kids? Well, first of all, um, becoming a foster parent is a little bit time-consuming, but not terribly time-consuming. You'll be trained, as you know. You'll be given, in fact, you'll be given training I think every parent needs uh, in terms of dealing with kids that are traumatized, dealing with kids with attachment issues. In fact, I've started ordering my parents' that are being reunited to get the same training of foster parents get. Um, so it, I, I think this parade of horribles that sometimes goes through people's minds about having kids that are, you know, delinquents come into their home, especially older kids. I, I'd love, I'd love for more options with older kids. Yeah. Babies are generally not hard to place. Right. Um, 
the reality is once that child goes into a home where there's structure and discipline and there's an expectation, they meet it almost every time. Mm -hmm. I seldom have, there are a few, uh, what I would call exceptions, where the child, um, you know, does things in the home that are hurtful to the family. Mm -hmm. uh, that does happen, I won't lie. But by and large, those, those young people step up to the task of doing their chores, following the rules. It takes a minute sometimes, but once they realize that they're there and that it's a, that it's a safe place for them, the kids, they, they end up really loving it. That's been our experience with our teenage placement. Mm -hmm. um, once I think she felt safe and, and advocated for, she's, she's so much help and she's so much fun. Yeah. Um, and it, it's so great having a, a, a teenager in our home um, just for her, for her personality, for her, you know, to be, it brings a whole nother element into our life. And, and um, Kara always jokes that, you know, it keeps her young. She keeps up to date on the new apps and the new sayings and the new, you know, but, um, you know, and we're given, we're given boyfriend advice. You know, I'm way too young to be given boyfriend advice, but it's, <laughs> it's fun. And it's, it's, it's such a rewarding experience. So, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the older kids because, yeah, I think I was very hesitant to it, and I can't imagine our life without without her now. Um, and and the trick is getting that birth parent to the point where maybe they're not exactly like like you and Kara are about this stuff, but they're equipped to to manage that teenager in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's the goal that reunification that the courts need to push. Uh, and I think we do, as a general matter, do that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you've had that good experience because my, my experience has been just that. I, I personally have had one situation I can think of in the six and a half years where that, uh, where that child, teen, it was a young teen, um, had caused problems in the home, and and there was it, it was a sexual offense against a child. So I won't say that 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 can't happen, mm -hmm. but it's one time out of many many that haven't and that have been great. So um, I would hope that people would uh, at least educate themselves on it. Uh, again, look at their own situation to kind of see what they can do, um, and really more than anything, reach out to the kids in your neighborhood. If you don't want to become an official foster parent, I know a lot of people, you know, they go to church, they meet kids at church. A lot of these kids aren't churchgoers. But I had a situation once where six kids needed to be removed from their home. And it's the only time this has ever happened when three different neighbors stepped up wow. and said, we'll take them, people on the street. Wow. And they knew the challenges this family had had. Uh, they did it anyway. It does I, I would You would think that happens more often. It doesn't. So even getting to know that, even pulling the new teenagers across the street over and saying hi is a big step. Because if that family needs you, we might be in that hearing and that kid might say, well, I know John across the street. That's a family friend. And you might be in a position to help that family out mm -hmm. just by reaching out to the, the kids in the street. We, we have too much of a disconnect between teenagers who are considered rowdy and the adults in their lives. We don't have neighborhoods that are 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 conducive to that kind of um, that kind of interaction. Like I said, most of our interaction is through churches here. 
Um, and this is a different population of kids. They need to have adults who can, they can look to for guidance and safety. And um, if it's not going to be through church or school, it's going to be the neighbor. So more than anything, I think that we just need to interact more with them and, and help them feel comfortable with, with being around adults who aren't going to come down on them about everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate you being here, and it's a very unique perspective we get to have. We haven't had uh, someone like you on, on the podcast, so really appreciate your insight. Thank, thanks for having me. I've loved it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, uh, visit, uh, go to the podcast on the uh, App Store, Google Play, uh, download, comment, um, Love Never Wasted on Instagram, loveisneverwasted.com. Watch the film, and we'll see you next time.